We're going to be in Mark chapter 8, if you'd like to head that direction. Last week we got back into uh, a series that's kind of been uh, on again, off again for a while, and so we're back into it. Uh, going to go through just a little bit at a time the Gospel of Mark over the next uh, several months, I believe. And uh, this story, I'll, I'll be honest with you, this one took a turn on me a little bit when I was preparing. And um, so in Mark chapter 6, there's basically the same story. And even though I, we technically got to that like well over a year ago, um, I still was like, how do you preach on the feeding of the 5,000 like twice? You know, isn't it kind of like he did this thing and it was amazing, you know, and then he did it again. Um, and so I just tried to study and read and do all the normal things. And I thought it was... I thought it was going to zig, and it kind of zagged on me a little bit. Uh, but I, but I believe that it's it's a word that God has for this group this morning. And so, um, Greg, could you bring these lights up a little bit? Um, let's read it together. Uh, even if you're familiar with it, let's let's ask God to help us read it and listen to it with fresh eyes and ears. Mark eight, starting in verse one. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered. And they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. Some of them have come from far away. His disciples answered him, how can, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken uh, pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dhammanutha. So I I definitely had to, like, repent of the fact that uh, I think initially coming into this story, I thought I kind of knew it all already. You know, I was like, okay, we get it. He fed some people. Uh, You know, I fall into the trap of, like, a church kid, Right, I grew up in church, been around church my whole life. It's so easy to become uh, just a little numb to how amazing this this is. Like this is truly an incredible story. And what he did here, it was similar to what happened in chapter six, but it's different as well. You know, in both stories, there was a big crowd and they were hungry, and he was he had compassion and wanted to feed them. And they had a little bit of food, and he multiplied it, fed everybody. They were totally satisfied, and they had a bunch left over, both both times. One of the things that's different here is that in chapter 6, he was in a in Jewish territory. Here in chapter 8, he's in Gentile territory. In, the, in chapter 6, in the Jewish territory, there were 12 baskets left over. In chapter 8, Gentile territory, 7 baskets left over. In the Jewish world, 12 baskets would, uh, like there's a numbers game all throughout the Bible. Not to the degree that some people think, you know. Some people get a little too into it. But there is something to be said for it. 
12 baskets in Jewish territory, 12 tribes. Okay, probably not a random choice there. Seven baskets left over in Gentile territory. Uh, the, the idea at the time was that there were 70 nations represented uh, outside, outside of, of Israel. That there were 70 other nations out there. So 770, pretty big connection. The, the overarching idea, and why would Mark include this, is he's trying to show us, hey, Jesus did the same thing for the Jews that he did for the Gentiles. Like, in a very, very, like, um, upside-down, broken, racist culture where that no one got along with each other, Jesus is like, hey, guess what I just did? I did the same thing for you that I did for you. I've not come for one group or the other. I've come for everybody. And so this is, this is a demonstration of his desire to bring the, everyone into the kingdom. Not just one particular group. Not a group that looks a certain way or has a certain ethnic background or anything like that. He's like, I come for all of you. And so if there's ever any question, like, was, was Jesus there to shake things up? He was absolutely there to shake things up. And so that being said, I kind of thought that's the direction it was going to go. And then God was like, no, that's, there's going to be more of that to come. This has a unique, like something unique to it that's worth talking about. What we see here is a view of what some have called uh, the economy of the kingdom of God. This is Kingdom Economics 101 that Jesus is showing us. Like that's, that's what he does when he, he's going around and he, every time he's with a group of people, he's talking about the kingdom of God and how there's a new way of living. All you've ever known is this broken, busted, upside-down kingdom that sin destroyed, and you've been trying to fix it yourselves, and you can't. And so God has come to invite you into a completely new way to live. And it's holistic. It's, it, it covers every single aspect of our lives. And so when Jesus goes in and he is preaching, he is bringing them the actual truth not just what they've been taught their whole lives. That's why he has that cadence of saying, you've heard this, you've been told this. What I'm here to tell you is this. Like that's, he's not just stuck in a loop. He's like, no, I'm, I'm here to bring you truth uh, to invite you out of lies into what is real. When, when Jesus comes in and he heals someone, he is showing them, you are not, you are not created to break and fall apart. You're not created to get sick. You're not created to, uh, to, to like get older and older and older and eventually pass away. You, that's, God did not make you to die. He made you to live. And so when he heals someone, he's displaying like this thing about the kingdom. When he uh, comes in and someone is oppressed like by, by a demon and he frees them, says, you're not created to be oppressed. You're created to be free. So he's, he's constantly in different areas of life. He has different opportunities based on the circumstances. He's showing us over and over and over again what the kingdom of God looks like in real life. And so he's working these miracles, and they're supposed to show us something. And so if it's holistic and it covers all of life, then why, why wouldn't he come in and say, let me, let me teach you about economics? 
in the kingdom of God. Now we hear in economics and we're, you know, you're thinking like, it's, it's either the, the love of your life, you know, or it's like the worst thing that you had to take in school and you don't really, you really want to care anything about it. But economics, if we're talking about uh, goods and services and exchange and consumption and production and like all those kinds of things, why, why wouldn't God say, hey, the, you've been taught that, that economics, you've been, you've been taught that money works a certain way, that stuff works a certain way, that, that, that this is how it, it, it goes in the kingdom. You're working with limited resources to try to accomplish all these things, and so you're constantly trying to figure out how to manage and micromanage and, and all these kind of things, and all your countries and nations, and you're always like borrowing and, and, um, and creating debt and paying off debt, and it's all this stuff that's going on. He's like, that's, that's your world. Let me show you what it looks like in God's world. Let me invite you into this new way to live. And so, if Jesus is wanting to show them something about the intended way of life, physically, spiritually, relationally, socially, then economically would fall right in there. And so, um, think he wants us to re- hit reset on our relationship with our stuff. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't really like like address that very much, probably because he was wasn't dealing with people that had a lot of things at the time. But maybe he's using this very simple understanding of like food to teach us something that we can then apply in our own world, which has a lot of uh a lot of struggle to it. Let's look a little more closely at what I'm talking about. I may have lost you already. I'm just telling you. I thought I was going to zig, it zag, trying to get it all together. Um, but let's 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 look at, at, at there's there's really there's four things that um, that I think we see here in this story. Let's let's zero in. Let's look at five through nine one more time. So yeah, he asked the the disciples. How many loaves do you have? They said seven. He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them, gave them to his disciples to then set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish having and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Let me tell you four, I think four ideas that we can kind of like take away from this. I meant to put these on the screen, but I just didn't. So just forgive me. The first one is that God provides for you. So if you're taking notes, there's four points. The first one, God provides for you. We see that in verse five and verse seven. He provided for the disciples. They had seven loaves. They had a couple of fish. Who's responsible for providing that to them? Well, ultimately, God is. You know, you could say, well, they probably, you know, they someone gave it to them, gave it to them, or maybe they had some jobs and they had some money saved up, and they just and like, okay, well, who? How did it get to them? God is the source. And you can you can diagram it out all you want, but ultimately, He's the one that provided the job and provided the fish in the water, and like all you know, like you can try, track it all down however you want. But God is the provider of everything that comes to us. And so the first thing is that God provides for you. We see that there. God provided the disciples with seven loaves, a couple of fish. Second thing 
is that God takes that provision and he multiplies it. Right? He says, give me the, give me the fish. Now, the disciples, they, they, they should have said, um, like whenever the crowd was there and they're like, man, we're, we're, like, we're way out in the middle of nowhere and it's been for three days and everybody's hungry and they won't make it back. What are we going to do? Someone should have said, wait a minute, this, this sounds familiar. <laughs> have we been in this situation before? Or am I just crazy? So someone should have said, hey, I got an idea. How about you do that again? That thing you did. Here's some bread. You think you can make more bread like you did a little while ago? Here's a couple of fish. Remember that time you fed like 5,000 people? This is a little bit less than that, so you should be able to knock this one out. That, that's what should have happened, but the disciples were a little, you know, they're a little aloof. And understandably, like this was like, this was new, right? But this is, this is, where, the, this is where the miracle comes in. Like God takes what shouldn't be enough. And he makes it enough. Seven loaves of bread and a couple of fish should not be enough to feed 4,000 people. But God takes the, what he has already provided to them and he multiplies it. This is, this is incredible. Wouldn't you love to like have, like a, just a, like how did it work, you know? Like in the previous story, he had them sit down and get in groups of 50 or 100. And like as he's feeding them, I would just love to know like what, like, was he like pulled from his cloak? Like here's another fish and another fish and another fish. Like a magic trick, you know, just kept coming out. I, I, would, I would love to know how it happened and what it was like. Or did one disciple, did he take some bread and some fish and he like would go to this group and by the time he got back, there was just more. He's like, oh, where'd that come from? And then he would go and like, was Jesus just sending them constantly going out? And every, every time they came back, there was just somehow there was more. We don't know how. We didn't get to watch it happen. It was just there. We don't really know. But the miracle is that what is not enough in the kingdom of the world is more than enough in the kingdom of God. Like that's what he is showing us. It's like you've been told that seven loaves of bread and a couple of fish are not enough to feed 5,000 very hungry people who will not make the trip back to find the closest place to get some food. You've been told that's not enough. In God's kingdom, uh, it is more than enough. So he's showing them that his economy doesn't work like our economy. I mean, apply it however you like. But that's what he's displaying for us. So one, God provides for you. Two, God takes that provision and multiplies it. Three, God involves you in providing for someone else. Notice that that He's making He's taking the He's making the miracle happen, but He is including His disciples in the distribution of that to the people who need it. Now, this is not just about efficiency. Jesus could have been like, you know what? I'm doing the miracle. I'm taking it to each person. I'm going to look them in the eye. They're going to know where this came from. It wasn't just like, what do, how do we do this? How do you set up a, a line? Do we get in a line? It wasn't about those things. He was including his people in taking this miracle and blessing the people who needed it. Now, why would he do that? A lot of reasons you could probably think of, but... 
tell you one thing that's true is he doesn't need us to do anything. So what we see here is not saying, guys, I can't do this without you. He's saying, I can do it without you, but I'm choosing to involve you in blessing other people. Why? Well, because he's creating a family. And what, like, what looks more like an ideal family than siblings serving one another? Might not look like your family. But how, how beautiful. Here's Jesus. So you know what the kingdom of God looks like? It looks like this. I provide. I, 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 for you, I take what I have provided. I multiply it and I include you in helping bless other people. Showing them what it looks like. Sons serving other sons. Daughters serving other daughters. Sons serving daughters. Daughters serving sons. Like that's, that's what he is inviting you into. And so think about the, the, the rhythm of him multiplying and handing, it, handing some to a disciple who, who probably like, like had to like make like a little basket out of their own clothes and would carry it to someone and handing it out and handing it out and handing it out and going back and there's more. And every time you go back, there's more. And all 12 of them are all fanned out, taking care of all these people. And they cover 4,000 people. And Jesus is saying, this is a picture, this is a family I'm making you into, where siblings serve one another. So he provides for you, he takes that provision, he multiplies it, he invites you in, uh, he involves you in providing for someone else. And the fourth thing, God makes sure everyone is satisfied. Like that sacrifice that the disciples made of handing over. Think about it for a second. There's no food, except they have a little bit. You think they might have kept that hidden for a little while? Notice they weren't real forthcoming with it until he asked them. He made sure that what they sacrificed would not only go to take care of everyone else, but that they also would be satisfied. So it says at the end, there was like everyone was satisfied and there were seven baskets left over. It's God's economy. He provides, he takes that, multiplies it, includes us in taking that and blessing others. And at the end of it all, everyone, including, including them and the disciples and Jesus, everybody's good. Now, our world doesn't look like that, does it? Our world, our world is full of, of, uh, of scarcity and, and hoarding. And um, like it's, it's this really like busted, broken system. That's why we're all fascinated and terrified of like these apocalyptic like, movie scenarios. You know? It's like, what if there was nothing? What if we had to like, forage for food? What would we do? And shows like The Walking Dead are so, are so popular because a part of it is like, could I make it? You know, like, could I survive? Not so much the zombie part, but maybe like, what if I had to go into a town and like dig through and try to find cans of beans? Like, could I eat cans of beans forever? You know, like we're always thinking, uh, like when you watch that stuff, you're like, what would I do in that scenario? And, and those shows and those movies are so good at showing like in that, like when pressed into a corner, people completely flip out. And it becomes just about you and what you can have. 
And I think God is kind of showing us, like, that's kind of how your world works. That's the very thing I'm inviting you out of and into a scenario like this. Where you share, and it's multiplied, and you get to bless people, and at the end of the day, everyone is blessed. So, how does this transfer into your life and my life? I think there's a lot of examples. I think we could look at a lot of things. Um, But I don't know that there's anything more relevant than money with this. Um, I think he's using food to teach us a bigger principle about his kingdom. But I think if we want an application point in our day, I think money is the, the closest one. And if you're here and you're like, man, I hate when preachers talk about money. Look, preachers don't talk about money either, you know? But I'm not apologizing for it. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about just about anything else except the kingdom. Why? Because, like, it is, it is our most, like, precious idol at the end of the day. Um, it, is, it is the thing that will keep us tripped up the most, and he knows it. And so I'm not shy. I'm not, I don't mean to be apologetic. I'm just acknowledging the fact that a lot of people don't like it. And that's fine. We'll talk about something else next week, probably. But uh, how do those four things fit in to us? Like, what do, how can we apply what we see about kingdom economics to our everyday lives? Well, let's go through those four points. First thing, God provides for you. Some, somehow God gets money to you. He, he provides a job. Maybe he provides like other, other sources of income. It could be a, a retirement account. It could be investments. It could be uh, an inheritance of some sort. Uh, or maybe you have family support. You know, like if you're sitting here and you're 13, you're like, oh, what a, I ain't got no job. You know, yeah, he provided a family so you wouldn't have to have a job at 13. Um, somehow, though, like money gets to you, and that is so that your needs can be met. Like that's that is what he desires to do. I know there are different parts of the world where this. Uh, I think the, like the point I'm making right now, uh, like would be differently explained or or whatever. And there's some like scenarios that are outside the norm. But I'm talking about down the middle in general. We're we're in America, so I'm going to talk to Americans. Uh, for the most part, you think about it. Somehow, God gets money to you to make sure that your needs are met. Now, it cannot stop at the first point. God provides, fists in the air, yay God, and that's it. Kingdom economics don't stop at you. The, the world we live in, though, it does a lot of times stop at you. Right? It's about accumulation, and it's about all these kinds of things, and, and uh, a lot of fearful living that money becomes the solution to and all that stuff. But in the kingdom of God, uh, the first of four steps is that God provides for you, but it does not stop with you. It goes to the next thing, which is that God takes that provision and he multiplies it. Now, as I said, the disciples shouldn't have given the bread and the fish to Jesus just on their own because he had done this miracle before. But there's also another reason why they should have done that is that as like faithful, like Jewish citizens, they were trained to give from the very beginnings of them as, as a nation, God was, was making them into generous people. They would tithe their crops and their, and their livestock and all that. But, but another thing is that, that and some of you guys have heard me talk about this before. If you were a landowner, 
he told them whenever it's time to, uh, to bring in all the crops, don't cut the edges in the corners. You leave those because there are poor people among you. There are widows among you. There are orphans among you. There are people traveling through your lands. You leave that for them. You need to be the kind of people that when folks are in a dire situation, they know we can go to the people of God and they will take care of us. That's, that's how it's supposed to be. And so they should have thought of that already. But they didn't. So in their situation, Jesus, he took their bread and he took their fish. But in your situation in mind, God doesn't, he doesn't like take our money. He doesn't hijack our bank accounts and take our money from us like he does there. We are under a, a covenant, a, we're under a, this instruction to, to give it of our own like, desire. So in the Old Testament, they would, they would tithe and they would cut their margins wide. And in the New Testament, the, the bar doesn't go down. The bar really just goes up in every way. And so we're left where, the, where the, the, the Spirit leads us in our giving. But that whole idea of, of the 10% is still very much, that's very much a part of who God has called us to be. That the first 10% of what comes in goes to the Lord. Old Testament, it was crops, it was livestock, it was any kind of anything that you would profit from. New Testament, same thing. So in our day, as God is providing money for us, the first 10% or more goes to him. That's that's how that's how it works. And it isn't like a bill to pay, you know, it isn't like paying your dues or anything like that. It's it's this act of worship. Let me just here's a couple of reasons why I say that. Um, it's an expression of gratitude to the Lord for like the ways that He has provided for you. It's it's an acknowledgement that God is the giver and that you, as opposed to you being the earner and owner. You're like, yeah, I, yeah, I went to work and I got a paycheck, but God, you provided the job. You provided the like everything for me to to be able to do this job. Like He's the source of all that. It shows our, it demonstrates our faith. You're saying, God, I trust that I can. That I trust that ninety percent is more than enough for me. You'll take care of me of the ninety. It's an act of obedience. It, it orders your life. Like in, you know what I mean. Like it's it, it puts things in the right order of of like God is first. And then other people, and then I'm kind of down the line a little bit. It deflates and silences the idol of money. When you when you when you give ten percent away, like like if you run the numbers in your head, and you're like, man, what is that per month? Wow, you know, money money loses its power when you give it away. It it, it grows in power when you when you keep it close, you know. And at the end of my list is that you get to join God in his mission through the church. So it has all these internal benefits and all these incredible outgoing benefits. So the instruction, the instruction in the Bible, and obviously I could unpack all that a whole lot, but it, it, it's very clear. It just comes down to are we going to be obedient to it or not. And so let me, let me say this, and this is like a, let me just take some, like, some pastoral privilege here. And just like you, you need to you need to understand when I'm when I say this. You need to believe me. And some of you know me, and I hope believe me. Uh, some of you don't know me. I just get to know me. I think you'll find that I'm not lying to you about this. 
if 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 I I'll use me as an example. If I hoard my money, or if I um, compromise on the math, you know, or if I like try to negotiate with the spirit about how much to give, or however however it needs to shake out, whatever scenario you want. If that's what I'm going to do, then then let's be clear. I'm the one that misses out. Like I I'm the one that misses out. Because God will take care of this church. The, the, like the church's finances, that's a whole other thing. I'm the one that misses out. God, will, he, he'll get this done. I mean, really, it's there's so many financial miracles that have happened since this union between the churches. Like we we have not had to like cut anything, which I don't know how, honestly. We've done everything that God has put in front of us. And whenever you start to look at the numbers and what's coming in and all that stuff, you're like, how are we, how are we doing this? God's a very like, creative accountant. He gets in that bank account. He does some crazy stuff. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. And so what I'm saying, though, is it, it is not about like me and the elders trying to get your money so we can have a bigger budget and we can, you know, all that kind of stuff. We don't, we don't need your money because God's going to take care of us. It's not about the budget or the church or any of that kind of other stuff. This is about you and I living in fullness. That's what it is about. And so if there's a part of you that's thinking, man, he's just trying to, he's, that's not, that's not it. God will take care of us. And to those of you who give and you're faithful and all that, I'm just grateful, but I'm I'm not grateful for the budget. I'm grateful that you've said yes to the Lord and for that example and for the the challenge that, that that is and for the encouragement that that is. And so please know that it's not that we want your money. We just want you to live in fullness. What Jesus is telling us He's saying, bring me your money and let me work a miracle. Bring me your money and let me take what shouldn't be enough and make it more than enough. Let me do something amazing in in you, in your family. Let me show you what real, like, like what God's economy really looks like. Not just in your salvation. Not just in your relationships, not just in all these other things, but even in your money, even in your pocketbook. That that is what God invites us into. Now you may have some objections, and I understand that. You may, you, you may, you may have some rationale behind why you don't tithe and all that stuff. And my encouragement would be, I, I would be, of course, any of us, any of the elders would be willing and we'll love to sit down and talk with you about that. But I'd ask Jesus what he thinks first. And, you, and he, he's not going to shame you into giving. It's not how he works. Um, I think he's going to, though, he, you know, he may come to you and say, well, let's talk about debt reduction. Let's talk about overall financial stewardship. You've got to be ready for him to take care of you in some of those ways. But I think at the end of the day, we see him inviting us into something bigger and beautiful and bigger and more beautiful. So he provides, then he takes, he like, he takes what we give him when we tithe, when we give an offering, he takes that, multiplies it. Third thing is he involves you and I in providing for someone else. 
So in a, in a, in a church setting, whenever you, uh, whenever you give money, like your money goes, goes to some really great stuff. First of all, uh, 10% of everything you give, we send elsewhere. So we're practicing as a church what God has called us to do as individuals and as families. Um, and, and so, like, that's an important thing. And, so, and that's what most churches do. So 10% goes, uh, goes away. Within that 10%, some of it goes to India. Some of it goes to help church plants. Some of it helps to go uh, to the BCM for campus ministry. Uh, there's these different things where that 10% goes. And so we're, like, sending that to other places. And we're telling God, we believe with the remaining 90%, we can do all the things that you called us to do. And so that's all of our ministry teams, and that's all that's that's breakfast in the park. That's more money for Hope of Life, our kids' home in, in India. That's keeping uh, all the ministries going. That's keeping this building going so that we can use it for all the different things that we have in in, in store. That's so that the five year plan can have some like some place to like actually like have some of that stuff go down. Uh, it's so that we can have a staff who doesn't have to go out and get other jobs, but but can be here and focused and doing like helping like. Um, as like middlemen between the teams and all the other kinds of things. And we're able to do all this stuff. So when you tithe, you are a part of all of that. God is involving you in that way. Like you're a part of Hope of Life. You're a part of these church plants. You're a part of all these things when you give. He includes you in that way. And then I was reading this article, and I've read it before. And I think I have time to, to say this. Let me, let me just... Uh, there's been these studies on the American church and like, uh, and it's been verified a bunch of times. What would happen if Christians in America, like across the board, tithed like just like a, like flat 10%, what would, what would happen? And the studies are showing that, that Christians, Christians in the great depression gave at 3.3%. That was their percentage. Christians today give it 2.5. So, you know, there's that. Um, but they estimate that if, if Christians in America would tithe, it would, it would infuse $165 billion into the church. Just, just America. $165 billion. And so they went through and they said, what could, with all the estimated costs of all these like global crises, what can we do with $165 billion? Here you go. Twenty-five billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and, and deaths from preventable z- diseases in five years. Twelve billion, so that of that one sixty-five, twenty-five could take care of global hunger and all that in five years. Twelve billion could eliminate illiteracy. Uh, Fifteen billion would take care of clean water and sanitation issues. One billion, uh, you could just give that just to just to like missions and like Great Commission work. Um, and then you're, you still have 100 to 110 billion left over for just whatever you wanted to do. And I was reading that list last night and I was like, you know, could it be that, that God has an economic plan to bless the world? You know, we sit around like, why does God let this happen? Could it be that God's like, well, see, I put this economy together and I have a plan and uh, I have like this country that has enough money to take care of all those things. And then you can just keep going down the list and all that money is sitting in our bank accounts. 
while all those things continue to happen. You know? And so, and that every time I, it just kind of blows my mind about God's plan because of what we see with the loaves and the fishes. That God's like, my people can live on 90% of what I've provided for them, and I'll take that 10%, multiply it, and bless the world. But you and I, we can't do anything about the American church. In fact, you can't do, do anything about this church. It's just up to, it's you. And if you're part of a family, it's your fa- you and your family. Like it comes down to a very personal level of what am I going to do about this? And when we give in that way, you know what, what, what will happen is that you will find yourself becoming a more generous person in general. Not just with finances. You'll, you'll find yourself more generous with your time, with like the things that, that, that you're good at. You're, like it, it, has this, it has this way of not only building our faith, but it also shapes our character. And so God's like, this, this, is, this is how I've created your world to work. Not your bust, busted, broken world. The kingdom world that he's invited us into. And, and why, why would he choose to include us? Because he's making a family. And what looks more like a family than siblings serving each other beginning with their treasure? It's, it's beautiful. And the last thing, God makes sure everyone is satisfied. How can 90% be enough? Well, in your hands it isn't, it's not. In our hands, 100 isn't enough. But in his hands, it, it's more than enough. You won't find someone who, who is financially generous, who is regretting it, you know? It's, it's liberating because we're in tune with God and his perspective on our money. There's a story James Bryan Smith tells, uh, him and Dallas Willard were talking and uh, this guy, there's a guy that owed James Bryan Smith some money and he was unsure how to bring it up. And Dallas said, he said, well, have you missed it? And Smith was like, well, actually, no, I, I, I haven't missed it at all. I actually, um, since, since I gave it, loaned that guy the money, like God's like, there's just been like abundantly more care for us. And he started naming all these things and Dallas said this, he says, The essence of the Trinity is self-sacrifice. God's in the business of giving to others. So when you gave your money freely to that man, you were aligned with God and his kingdom. And I love this. God would then make sure that the money given in sacrifice would never be missed. God will make sure that what we are giving will never be missed. Those disciples didn't miss those seven loaves of bread and those fish. They had to tote seven baskets back to the boat. They didn't miss it. And they got to watch something so amazing happen right before their eyes. That's how the economy of God works with, with money, with like relational forgiveness. I mean, you can, you can take that same idea that he provides, multiplies it, and includes you in bringing it to others and everyone's satisfied. It's everything. It's, it's the gospel. How can one Savior be enough for the whole world? 
Well, we tried it and failed. In God's hands, Jesus has multiplied himself, given us the gospel to take to others. And can you find a more satisfied person than someone who knows Jesus? You won't. This is how God works. And so I hope that maybe the loaves and the fishes story maybe will take on some some new meaning and some new life to us. Uh, My prayer is that you don't hear anything, anything but God inviting you into deeper things. That you don't hear me like, you know, I hope that that you believe me. I know I probably sound paranoid, but that's a part of my line of work, especially when it comes to money. But I hope that you hear his voice way, way, way louder than mine or anyone else's. So I'm going to pray for us. Let's stand together. Let me pray. God, I'm thankful. Uh, I'm thankful for this story. And uh, just for the, the many examples I can think of in my own life and the lives around me of your provision and your, the miracle that you work in multiplying that and bringing that to others. And the privilege that it is to be invited to join you in that. I mean, the whole thing is amazing. I'm thankful that you uh, you take care of us, and and our desire is to not. And I'm speaking on behalf of the room. I'm assuming a lot here, but we don't want it to stop at the first thing where you provide. So we said in summer groups a few weeks ago that if if the gospel comes to us on the way to someone else, then the, the same thing happens with with finances, with forgiveness, with hospitality, with kindness. Uh, just the, with everything with the, with the gospel, it comes to us, it's multiplied and it goes on to others. And we just want to be the, those kind of people that see your provision as a way of not only taking care of us, but also taking care of the, literally the world around us. We can't do that on our own. And so I ask God that you would help us. We love you as we respond in, in different ways for these next few moments. Would you Just uh, have your way among us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may may just want to spend a few minutes just praying. You can come to these steps. We have some of our uh, elders and staff on the front row that would love to pray with you if if God's stirring something in you. Um, We have two communion lines that you're welcome to come in. Uh, God has given us a tangible reminder through communion of this very thing. That one Savior was enough for us all. And so as you take the bread and dip it in the juice and you take it, it's like don't forget that there's someone behind you. That, that there's always enough of him to go around in that way. That these kingdom economics aren't just a money thing, it's a, it's a people thing. Uh, whatever God may be stirring in you, we want to give you a, f- a few minutes to respond to that. So our, our communion lines are open and we'll sing here in just a second and uh, just kind of just see what God wants to do in these closing moments.